I'm Josh Liston from On The Bubble Podcast, an oral history of television fandom, part of the Gunner Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other awesome geeky shows at GunnerGeekNetwork.com. This is the official GunnerGeek.com show. Here, we're a bunch of geeks talking about geeky things. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Stephen. But what if I'm in the mood for a T-Swift story? Chris. I've heard the X is going to give it to you. And SP. That's how we roll on Gonna Geek on Monday night. We get crazy! Gonna Geek Productions presents the official GunnaGeek.com show. Welcome, everyone, to episode 271 of the official GunnaGeek.com show. This is broadcast live on Geeks.Live, the streaming home of the Gunna Geek Network on January 14th, 2019. You might be wondering, hey, what's this different voice? If you're watching the video, you see an absence of hair, but a much, much nicer beard. That's right. I'm not Stephen Jondre. I'm Chris Farrell. I'm here as your master of ceremonies or something to that effect today. But don't worry. I'm not by myself. Joining me, of course, the deputy director of SNASA, one Stargate pioneer. Deputy, you just devoted me <laughs> for no reason whatsoever. I'm here. I've worked a 12-hour day. I'm in the shirt and tie, and now you're demoting me to deputy direct. That is not well, right, Suncast slipped me 20 bucks to promote him. <laughs> if you want to slip me 21, I'll re-promote you. I can slip you how much you want. I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I'm the director of NASA. I'm the one who has all the experience, the degrees and that sort of stuff. We just keep Suncast around just to blame if something really goes wrong. That's really? true. And joining us from the Oasis, because he's got his goggles on, GFQ's very own Suncast on our regular guest host joining us. He's He's one of us now. Suncast, welcome. Am I doing this bird box challenge thing right? Uh, see, I thought those were VR goggles. No, I, I I think that might be the right bird box challenge. I haven't seen the flick yet. I haven't seen it either. So somebody's going to have to explain. Oh, yeah, I did hear something about driving a car on GPS only. Something like that. I don't know either. Why would you do something like that? Because weird i don't know people aren't smart all i was thinking is these people driving blindfolded is at least if you had a tesla you might be able to not kill someone if you turned on <laughs> autopilot <laughs> i'm like well, who but, are these people doing this like but, how much smarts do you have to have to actually follow through with that not much i've seen <laughs> it on top gear and it doesn't end well the gps just isn't that good to keep up with real-time speed right now at least for a human interface and yeah, I guess eventually it'd be fine. Like the Google car. What, what's the big one? It is Google, right? The Google uh, driverless car. They're working with uh, Waymo, I think is who it is, is the company they have. Okay. Well, I know a lot of people are working on them and I can't wait to the time where I can just go to sleep and the car can travel me wherever I need to go. And I don't have to worry about going through the airport and TSA because TSA sucks. And so does air travel these days. God, that's now, see, this is something that's interesting to me is, is all these driverless vehicles. And, and I'm just thinking about when you read all these stories about driverless vehicles being tested or 
being put to use. It's always in like Arizona or Texas. It's like they still haven't figured out how to use these things somewhere where it's cold, like here in Michigan or, or Ohio. So Uber is doing tests in Pittsburgh with their self-driving vehicles that they've recently restarted I, I, them. I don't trust a driverless vehicle in snow. Well, I mean, here's the real problem. When it comes to these driverless vehicles, computers are ruthless. They think in zeros and ones. Their right. priority is saving life. So if the computer has to make a decision between crashing your car and killing you to save three people or killing three people to save you, what's it going to do? That's the uncomfortable thing with driverless cars right now. The thing that I would be worried about right now is to get a car without a actual cockpit, you know, without a steering wheel, without pedals and that sort of thing. So if you did run into a situation where you had a storm roll through, you could go ahead and take control of the car and drive it yourself. However, that said, you go five years of having those things out, maybe 10 years, and then all of a sudden you have a whole new generation who's never really driven before. So it might be even worse having somebody that's never driven before than driving a snowstorm. So I don't know. We'll see what happens in 10, 15 years. In the meantime, I know how to drive in the snow. I grew up in Minnesota. I live in West Virginia. I know how to drive in the snow. It's no problem. It's a snow problem, guys. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get into the news, Chris. So let's kick off our news segment with the director of SNASA. He paid me $22 while we were off camera right there. So SP, what news, what space news you got for us this week? I actually have a lot of space news. and We're going to start off talking about SpaceX. It's not going to be the only SpaceX news that we talk about this week. But last week, we saw the Starship Hopper. Have you guys seen this one? I just saw a photo of it. That's about all I've really seen or know about it, to be honest. All right. Well, let me break it down for you. So Elon Musk tweeted last Thursday, January 10th, 2019, quote, Starship test flight rocket just finished assembly at the SpaceX Texas launch site. This is an actual picture, not a rendering. And it showed this rocket ship that looks like it's straight out of 50 sci-fi, right? It's got a United States flag on it. And just for scale, they threw in a person in a spacesuit. Now, it might have been a star man. I don't know if it was a real person or not. I don't know how tall the person is, but let's just say it's anywhere between five and six and a half feet. That rocket is just huge next to that. And it looks glorious as a 1950s style rocket. So here's a little bit more information. The photo of the vehicle did include the spacesuit clad person for scale. No information on the height of the individual. The construction milestone seems to keep SpaceX on target to begin short hopping flights with a prototype vehicle soon. Musk said earlier this week that SpaceX aims to start such trial runs, which will take place at the Texas site near Brownsville in the next four to eight weeks. Of note, SpaceX Falcon 9 and Falcon Heavy rockets are white, but Starship and the Hopper, which is the actual test prototype, will remain shiny on painted metallic silver. But the later pair will be far from identical. The operational vehicle will have windows and seven Raptor engines compared to just three for the Hopper and no windows from what I can see in the picture. The other differences include... 
Quote, this is for suborbital VTOL, which stands for vertical takeoff and landing tests. Orbital version is taller, has thicker skins, won't wrinkle, and a smoothly curving nose section, unquote, Musk said in another tweet. The first orbital Starship prototype should be finished around June, he added in another tweet. And if the testing and development campaign goes well, Starship and Super Heavy could begin flying Mars missions as early as the mid-2020s. Musk has said Super Heavy is the next generation of the Falcon Heavy rockets. I want a replica of this to put on my desk because it looks yes. awesome. That that was my takeaway from that as well. Is like it just the and fifties is that kind of era that you can really get nostalgic about. So just seeing this in person in the modern age, it's just really neat. I can't wait to see this thing fly. I don't know if it's gonna. I can't remember if it's supposed to land like the Falcon Nine rockets do or the Falcon Heavy does, but it. I think it has to in order for it to really work. And this is the prototype of the colonization ship. It's smaller. It's okay. not going to be as big. This is what's going to take actual people to Mars. Okay, because that's what I was wondering. I was like, if we've got the Falcon rockets, why do I need to care as much about this one other than 50s nostalgia and drooling? But you well, answered it for me. Right. So if you take a look at this, it looks like a rocket on its own. It's not the entire rocket. This Think of this in terms of a space shuttle. So there's going to be a bigger rocket that's going to actually lift this up off into space and then this is going to be the spaceship or space shuttle if you will that would transport goods cargo and people to the moon mars wherever they need to go i'm intrigued like i said i want one for my desk not like full <laughs> size because that's that's ridiculous but they could do replicas i mean you buy a tesla car you get a small little replica of your tesla they put in the frunk for you so there's no reason why they can't make rocket replicas for us so did they say what time frame they're looking at actually testing this and getting it launched? Well, this prototype is going to start test flights in the next four to eight weeks. Okay. I mean, that's something that I would definitely want to keep an eye on and see the progress of. Yep. And if you stay tuned to Guinea Geek, we will definitely be talking about this as things progress. There's a lot of things happening in 2019. I'm going to try to stay abreast of the most important things week to week, but inevitably there's going to be something that we just don't have time to talk about and then something will happen and we'll have to bring it up again. But this is one of the big things here and we're going to talk about a couple other things later on in the episode. So we're going to go from important things like space travel, potential colonization to things that some of us might find important, but just kind of shake our heads at yes, more mini consoles from Nintendo. That's what we're going to talk about now. So there is a rumor going around that's starting to get some credence lent to it because data miners have started digging into some of the Nintendo code they've found, and they've determined that Nintendo may be prepping two more retro consoles, this time based on the N64 and the Nintendo GameCube. They've unearthed evidence to suggest Nintendo may be looking to extend the retro console offerings beyond the NES and SNES on the Switch as well. For those that aren't familiar, there's a... NES Switch app that's out there that allows you to play NES games and a couple SNES games now. So these folks have dug into code and found where there are two code names set aside for separate consoles, Hyoko and Count, which they assume refers to the N64 and the GameCube classic consoles, or at the very least, additional support for Nintendo Switch online service. So data miner Oatmeal Dome was interviewed and said, this could be this could mean rather there will be two new console classics or we will have three new consoles for switch online 
Now, guys, it's also possible that these might be code names left over from development. But if you had to guess right now, it seems kind of likely that they're going to do an N64 Mini right now. It's been rumored for a while. Like it or not, the mini console market, at least on the Nintendo side, is still a rampaging success. The uh, PlayStation Classic, pretty crappy by all accounts. In fact, they've actually said that the SNES Classic runs PS runs the emulator that the PlayStation Classic does better, but that's neither here nor there. But it seems like Nintendo is prepping for a Switch to do more retro gaming. I, I really don't want more mini consoles, guys. At this point, I'm hoping that this is an update to the S, not S, the uh, Switch Online service and letting me play additional games there. That is more utility. That makes me feel better for the $20 a year I'm paying with my Nintendo Switch console right now only to back up games. But if I have the opportunity to go back and play classic SNES, GameCube, and N64 games on my Switch, I'm totally on board. I would much rather do that than go and buy another mini console that I'm going to play for a while and then it's going to sit on the table because I'm tired of playing that and go back to playing my other games. Give me retro gaming on my modern day console. That is the way to do it. What, what do you guys think? Are you on board for more mini consoles? Or would you rather just get an app that basically emulates all of these games for you? Uh, no, I'm totally in, in, in your uh, realm here with this. I definitely want like that retro great gaming experience on a Switch. I think that would convince me more to not only use their subscription service, but also to actually buy a, a Switch versus, oh boy, another mini console that's, you know, like $50, $60 or whatever. Like you said, you'll play it for a few weeks and then that's probably it. But if it's on a modern day console like the Switch, well then you, that's something that has a lot more longevity than something that's just a mini console. That's something that you can potentially keep updating over time with new titles and something new for the player. Right. One thing I did forget to mention, there was another data miner by the name of Cappuccino Heck, who kind of dug into the Switch online service and determined SNES games like Super Mario Kart and Legend of Zelda Link to the Past should be coming soon. And if you haven't played it, Legend of Zelda Link to the Past is one of the best games to have come out on the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. And if I can literally just pick up my Switch and play it, it makes it worthwhile. I see what you guys are saying. And... What you're alluding to probably will be the way forward for this, or the retro gaming on the newer consoles. I did not go through the Nintendo magical era like you guys did. And, well, I lived through it, but I wasn't playing games. I went straight from the Atari 2600 to the Xbox 360, so I missed out on everything in between. What I would like would be some way, and if it's a mini console, so be it, to have an original Xbox. I know it's going to pale in comparison to what's available today. Now I say that, but I have played both the original Combat Evolved on Xbox 360 and the remastered one that they did that you can play on the Xbox, um, Xbox One. And I like that, and I like being able to do the original gaming on the newer console with uh, cleaner graphics, if you will, but still the same gameplay. So I'm kind of split a little bit, whereas I would like to enjoy that mini console just for a little bit with the original controller and then put it aside just because I didn't have a chance to go through it. But I see the more practicality version of being able to do that through an exit like the Xbox One X or, or whatever. So yeah, I see that. And as far as this Nintendo stuff goes, 
and, and, and Nintendo 64, that's pretty big, right? I mean, that was probably their biggest selling console, right? That was probably the Wii if you go just by numbers alone, but okay. because it was the cultural craze. But N64 was arguably one of the consoles to revolutionize and standardize 3D gaming. Super Mario 64 is widely recognized as, hey, here's a demo of what you can do. And a lot of other people picked it up and ran with it. That and Zelda Ocarina of Time. But you mentioned something really interesting there with the Xbox consoles is Microsoft is sort of doing this backwards compatibility thing. But diff well, they are, but different than how Nintendo is here by putting it all in an app. They've made a bunch of Xbox 360 and Xbox original games backwards compatible, and they have the advantage of you pop the disc into your Xbox, it reads it, and then downloads a version you can play. So they've got that going for them. Nintendo can't do that with the Switch because the Switch moved back to cartridges, and like the N64 is a cartridge, the GameCube was a mini DVD that spun counterclockwise versus clockwise and stuff like that. So it's going to be interesting to see what Nintendo does. My personal belief, I think they put out both mini consoles and update the... Uh, NES app to let you play other games, older games, and I don't think the crossover is going to be the same games in each one, and that's how they're going to get you. And let me tell you right now, if the only way I can get Zelda Ocarina of Time is to buy a, is to buy a classic console, I'm going to be frustrated, and I'll probably just pull out my game, my, not GameCube, my uh, N64 again, and play it that way. <laughs> you still have one? I still have my N64 from when I was a kid. Wow. It is in a Rubbermaid box in my garage with all of the games and two controllers the problem is the battery inside my ocarina of time cartridge is probably almost dead which means my save game is about to disappear uh, if it hasn't already if it has that's the problem with the console games now if you were using like memory packs like they were doing for a while there to save games your games would arguably not go away ever unless you destroyed the memory pack but it is what it is i'll just have to replay it again because like i said Ocarina of Time, great game. Not quite as good as Link to the Past, but still a great game. I'm going to be excited to see if they actually do what we are hoping they're going to do with the Switch and having it as an app that you can just digitally download. Like To me, that's more of a value add to the Switch and the subscription service than anything else. It's the way to do it. I have played with the NES app on the Switch, and I haven't spent a bunch of time on it because I've got a bunch of other things to play, but it is very faithful adaptations or ports, rather, of these classic NES games. And it kind of makes sense. If someone's going to port it best, it's probably going to be Nintendo. And I think they would rather do it officially than all of these homebrew options that are out there. But because right. then they can make a little bit of money off of it. But speaking of making money off of things, I hear, John, you found the ultimate Uber toilet that we can make a ton of money off of. Please tell us about the super toilet. I don't know that I'm going to be making any money off of this thing, but you this get is in just... charge admission. This is what I'm thinking. <laughs> charge people to take a ride on the super toilet. Right. You could do this in your in your van <laughs> down <laughs> by the suckers. rivers. Yeah. And everyone gets a complimentary lollipop when they get off the can. Yeah. <laughs> hey, kids, you want to see my toilet? <laughs> That's not creepy at all. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. No. Um, so what we're talking about here is Kohler's Numi 2.0 Intelligent Toilet. They've had this before. This is now a more intelligent upgraded version than what they've had in the past. And, and this is actually something that maybe this time around they will actually sell. Because they've had this before, but they've never actually sold it before. So the Kohler Numi 2.0 Intelligent Toilet is literally the Uber of toilets. This thing is just... 
It's got like the Swiss Army knife of every feature that you would want in a toilet. It has heated seat warmer, a foot warmer, auto flush, auto raise and lower lid and seat, a lighted bowl, adjustable mood lighting, a front and rear bidet with adjustable water pressure, oscillation, temperature and position, a dryer, a deodorizer, a UV light cleaning solution thing that they have with it, built-in speakers that you can play music on, and it comes with a touchscreen remote that you can use and have programmable user profiles on. Yes, you can have like up to nine different users programmed into this remote control with certain settings for each user for your toilet. But do I really want a touchscreen with my toilet? I don't know that you would necessarily want another user to have their own settings for your toilet. Well, I mean, maybe maybe you buy it for a house with your wife or your kids and you put it in the main bathroom and everyone has their own setting. But really, one of the most disturbing things there is a touch screen that everyone's going to touch when they're on the <laughs> toilet. It has an Amazon Alexa integration. You just put yes. a little dot in there and just use verbal commands. So this is this is the biggest upgrade with the 2.0 is that now everything has a Amazon Alexa assistant built into it. And now the 2.0 intelligent toilet from Kohler, the Numi, has an Amazon Alexa in it. So now you can just use all those commands. It has every Amazon Alexa skill that you would ever think of. Same as any other Echo device. All you got to do is tell it what you want, who who you are, and I guess it'll do it for you. Now, you're probably wondering how much this costs. So oh, the, the basic model limit. basic model starts at $7,000. <laughs> for the, that's just a standard model. <laughs> that is definitely more than Chris's first car. <sighs> yeah, they I have paid a, a dollar for my first car. <laughs> <laughs> they have a Basher pad black model that says it's going to go for a mere $9,000. So mm, the only what? difference is it's black and you pay $2,000 more? Apparently. That's ridiculous. I haven't been able to find a lot of information as far as the fact, because when I looked at this, they said, oh yes, there's a black model, but it's going to be between eight and $9,000. <laughs> I wonder, is there going to be a marine edition? I don't know, but this is pretty interesting. It goes along with all of Kohler's other interconnected products for the bathroom. They have this new line called the Kohler Connect, which is a suite of uh, a smart shower, a smart mirror, and a smart tub. A smart mirror? Well, how does a mirror need to be smart? It makes me look more handsome when I ask it to. That's how it works. <laughs> it gives you more hair. Yeah. <laughs> it moves it from my face to the top of my head. Well, yeah, you can have this whole smart bathroom now thing. And I guess it, for all these products, you're probably looking at about $12,000 for your, your Color Connect bathroom. <laughs> and it's all interconnected. It's all mute mood lighting. So if you go in there, it can all be connected to the same mood lighting adjustments that you want. But yes, this is quite literally the Swiss Army Knife Uber of toilets. It has literally every feature that you can think of that you would want for uh, for a toilet. This thing is just incredible. It's got two bidets in it, two, a front and a rear. Well, yeah, it's usually what a bidet has in these day and age. Guys, I just last night was watching this YouTube 
uh, tour of a 90 foot, 92 foot yacht. This sort of stuff happens in like it's just beyond the scope of what we're normally looking at. I mean, uh, John, you're up at the moon. You get some pretty unique stuff up there that we don't have down here. It's because of necessity, right? Well, rich people have a necessity to have two bidets. I've record I've requisitioned one for the moon. Why haven't I gotten it yet? It's heavy. <laughs> Takes a while. So, Probably no, um, because the lack of of gravity, toilets don't work the same. I mean, they kind of do, but not really. You should know this. Oh, we so have true. artificial gravity. What are you talking about? Sure. <laughs> Somebody's been watching a little bit too much of the Orville, I'm sure. So, so two thoughts I had on this when we brought this up is with the Amazon voice services integration is it as simple as I sit on the toilet and I go, Hey, a word trigger, clean my tushy when I'm all done. And it just does its thing. I don't have to touch anything, let alone toilet paper. Cause if so, wait, wait, wait a minute, cool. wait a minute. This is, this is, this is one of the first things I've thought of is you, is you have this, this you've, you've said it before, you have this red alert thing for your <laughs> Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm just thinking, okay, well, you can you can easily tie this into your Amazon Alexa red, red alert skill, where if you say red alert, well, then it just sets off the chain of events for your bathroom. So, like, if you really, really, really have to go right this second, all you have to do is say, Alexa, red alert, and, you, and, and it'll ready your toilet for you. Which means you could theoretically use routines with it to then, like, flash your lights red down the hall or something like that if you have red <laughs> LED lights, things like that. Oh, man. And so the second thought I had when we saw this and you brought it up, because for those that aren't aware in the pre-show, John was talking about the fact that this is the thing out of CES that has him most excited is this Kohler <laughs> toilet. <laughs> so I have to ask, Suncast, a.k.a. John, how soon after you saw this did you pre-order your Kohler super toilet? And when is it expected to deliver? And did you bill Andrew for it? If only I could actually pre-order one of these things. I don't think they're on sale yet. I couldn't find anywhere to actually order one, so I'm waiting. Kohler, if you're listening, I'll take one. I'm sure Andrew's happy to foot the bill for it if you can get a good deal. Absolutely. I'll review it for GFQ. <laughs> so you heard it here first, folks. Suncast is going to get Andrew to buy him a new toilet, and he's going to review it. And God willing, it doesn't get too great. A graphic. toilet with Amazon Alexa built in. So you've got to test those features on top of all the Toshi cleaning features and things like that. <laughs> this is like I'm, the Toshi cleaning. Have you episode. seen the remote for this thing? It's incredible. Guys, just think about the, you know, the refresh rate on this, right? <laughs> it refreshed my Toshi. <laughs> right. Okay. So how often do you replace a toilet in your house? Like every 20 like, years, probably. I don't know. Maybe 20, probably closer to 30. The refresh rate on this $9,000 toilet is going to be like three to five years. It's, oh my gosh, I can't even. Well, we're not the intended target audience for this. Let's be honest. This is one of those weird <laughs> CES things that comes up just to kind of get the attention and the talk. And if they sell like three or four of them, they call it a day and they move on to the next thing. I don't think they're expecting this to go mainstream and everyone puts a Kohler smart toilet in their house. Now, I if they're going to even... give it to me, I'll do it. Think of the Santa. You were talking about the screen. I'm not so worried about the screen. The screen is easy to clean. I'd be worried about those speakers. Look at all the speakers in here. Just see how. Yeah, God, it's well, it's I, like germ magnets. I would assume they are designed <laughs> like boat speakers in which the enclosure is water safe. So 
really it'd just be a matter of wipe down the outside with the bleach with a bleach wipes or whatever every once in a while when you're cleaning the toilet maybe just disconnect it and use the bidet on it is yeah. that what you're talking about that could be well, let's be honest though the people that are buying this toilet are probably not the ones thinking about how am I going to clean this? This is their cleaning lady or whatever's problem to figure out how to clean it. <laughs> because so a $9,000 toilet, I don't think most, how do I put this best? Most middle class to upper middle class people are even considering something like this. We look at it and kind of smile and laugh and go, okay, that would be kind of cool. But I don't think this is going to wind up in one of our houses. It's going to wind up on the SNASA moon base before it winds up in our houses, I bet. Now, the good news, though, is that even though there's a lot of electronic stuff with this toilet, um, they do say that it, it, it can power itself for about 100 flushes if there is a power outage. Well, that's good. So you've got 100 times you can go do your business before you're hosed and can't flush your toilet. Yes. You know, in most cases, I'm trying to think of all the times I've had power outages and or water outages. I don't think I've used the toilet a hundred times in that couple days. You can't think of it in terms of that. You got to think of it in terms of zombie apocalypse. So when zombie apocalypse hits, you have 100 flushes before you have to find another safe house. <laughs> well, I think I've got bigger things to worry about in the middle of the zombie apocalypse than the bidet properly cleaning my tushy. That's, that's just when you use the excrement to build a wall between you and the zombies. That's a pretty stinky wall. <laughs> I like how Dane put it in the uh, in the chat room. A word, sanitized bathroom. <laughs> and is there delivery, he asks. I'm pretty sure there would have to be delivery if you're putting $9,000 down for the toilet. And God willing, they have a plumber and an electrician they can recommend to come do this work. <laughs> Because I don't know about you, I don't have a plug right next to my toilet in any of my bathrooms. Okay, all you guys want like all these smart thermostats and stuff in your home. No, I want a smart toilet. Hey, if just, you can get one, more power to you, sir. Yeah, I'd say go for it. Literally. <laughs> He's gonna go for it on it. <laughs> oh, bathroom humor. We bring you the cutting edge of bathroom humor here on the GunnaGeek.com show. We also bring you the cutting edge and extra, extra news. Yes, we do have a few extra stories for you guys today. I'll kick things off. This one's really short. We have talked about it before, and one of my biggest beefs I've had with all of the console makers out there is cross-play of certain games across all of the networks, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, Switch Online. We talked about a while back how Fortnite you couldn't play on PS4 with people on Xboxes or Switches and how they're locking out accounts. Well, eventually Sony put a bait out, making it so that you could play Fortnite on a PlayStation 4 with your friends and any other devices. So really one of the biggest games that was still a holdout was a game called Rocket League. Well, today Rocket League officially got cross-platform play across all devices. Prior to today, you could play on the Switch, Xbox, and PC with each other. Well, now PlayStation 4 will allow you to play Rocket League with all of your other gaming friends. So it's a step in the right direction. I hope to see it with more and more games going forward. But the sad fact of the matter is, is there's a lot more leverage for games like Rocket League and Fortnite because they have huge user bases. I don't think you're going to see something like Madden or the latest Call of Duty or things like that become true cross-platform, cross-domain games. I can dream, but I don't think it's going to happen. The dream is alive. The dream is alive. One day I'll get a toilet to play it on too. <laughs> dream is alive but sp you also mentioned earlier you got some more space news for us here in the extra extra so please fill us in 
I do. So at the same time that CES was going on, we had the American Astronomical Society had their 233rd meeting from January 6th to 10th. And what they were discussing in part was four new mission concept studies for future space observatories. So one candidate mission is called the Large UV Optical Infrared Surveyor, or LUVOR, and it's essentially a beefed-up version of the Hubble Space Telescope. Like Hubble, this instrument would observe the universe in ultraviolet, infrared, and visible wavelengths of light. The Habitable Exoplanet Observatory, or HABEX, is designed to observe potentially habitable exoplanets around sun-like stars. Lynx is a potential successor to NASA's Chandra X-ray Observatory and is proposed that it would uncover invisible universe by detecting high-energy X-ray radiation that is not currently visible to the human eye and hopefully will never be visible to the human eye. And the Origins Space Telescope, which seeks to answer the big mysteries of life in the universe, like how habitable planets are formed. So those are four missions that were discussed, Lynx, Luvor, Habex, and Origins. NASA and the rest of the astrophysics community will have to wait about 23 months to find out which of the four mission concepts gets selected to launch. Once a mission is selected, it will take around 15 years and at least $1 billion per mission to develop it before it will launch. Until then, NASA has two big flagship class astrophysics missions to look forward to. We've talked about them both. James Webb Space Telescope and WFIRST, the Wide Field Infrared Survey Telescope. James Webb is currently scheduled to launch in 2021, while WFIRST is on track to launch in 2025. But beyond those two, we have four big observatories that are in the planning stages, guys. This is exciting. Space telescopes will continue. That is exciting. I mean, there's, then I think the next 10 years is going to be just even more exciting than what we've seen in the last five. I think you're right. I think there's a lot of cool stuff coming. At least that's what I'm hoping. There's a lot of reinvigorated interest in space from both kids, college students, things like that. The way SpaceX has come on the scene, things like that. People have a lot more eyes to it. It reminds me a lot of when I was growing up as a kid is there was a, a palpable excitement about people when it was we're doing a shuttle launch. Hey, here's the cool thing we're doing now. And people were literally on the edge of their seat watching these things happen. I'm looking forward to that in the future. In the meantime, we also had some move forward with SpaceX, which we talked about before, and we're not done talking about uh, there was going to be another story right after this. So basically, NASA and SpaceX are now targeting no earlier than February for the launch of Demo 1 to complete hardware testing and joint reviews for the first Crew Dragon test flight. NASA officials wrote in an update last week, quote, NASA and SpaceX will confirm a new target date after coordination with the Eastern Range and the International Space Station program, unquote. So SpaceX's Demo-1 mission will mark the first flight test of a privately built crewed spacecraft to ferry NASA astronauts to the International Space Station. SpaceX is one of two companies with NASA contracts to fly astronauts to and from the station. The other company is Boeing which also plans to fly uncrewed and crewed test flights of its own CST-100 Starliner spacecraft later this year. Spacecraft SpaceX excuse me, has already rolled the Demo-1 Crewed Dragon out to launch pad 39A, historic launch pad 39A, I might add, 
at the Kennedy Space Center for a dry run of launch operations, NASA officials said. So a lot of stuff is going on with SpaceX. You guys were talking about being excited about the space telescopes. This is private space travel about to happen in the next year. That is. It's, it's exciting that we're getting a new vehicle soon. This is something that's been a long time coming, I think, is, is that uh, it, it, it's been several years now since we had the space shuttle and i think people are really wanting to see some new vehicles oh agreed we've been relegated to using the russian soyuz capsules and we've seen what happened with that in the past year i would and i so, would echo wanting to see and we need to see at this point it, indeed indeed so a lot of great stuff going on we've talked about two good things going on with spacex so far in this episode, we're going to talk about something that's not potentially good, but I think really is good long term. So basically, SpaceX, in a statement last January 11th, which was three days ago, confirmed layoffs and a company source speaking on background estimated the cuts at 10% of the workforce. Whew, that's a lot. So this was reported as a cost cutting move. The company says is required to focus on development of its next generation launch system and a broadband satellite constellation, which we haven't talked about a lot. It is the first large-scale reduction of SpaceX's workforce since the company was founded in 2002, although the company did fire several percent of its uh, employees in 2014, but that was a move that the company said at the time was based on performance reviews and not necessarily fiscal. The layoffs, the company source said, don't indicate near-term financial problems at the company at SpaceX, but rather a redistribution of resources to focus on development of its next-generation launch system and broadband constellation. Guys, I don't think this is a bad thing. I don't think they're hurting for money. I think there's a lot of great successes going on with SpaceX right now, but they did need to lean down their workforce of 10%. And if you take a look at Fortune 500 companies, a lot of them do lay off about 10% of their bottom performers every year just to try to get some churn going or whatever percent it is. Although this was not a churn, there are some, I read the entire article, it was on spacenews.com, and there were some high-performing people that they had to let go. And I feel bad for them because SpaceX is such a hard-charging organization, but when you got to make hard cuts, you got to make hard cuts. And hopefully this will pan out for them and that they were able to reinvest those monies into the ventures going forward. And uh, yeah, it's kind of sad for the 10%, but I, I hope this means good things for SpaceX. So to make a poor analogy, it sounds like one of those moments where you got to trim the tree back properly so that it grows as it needs to. Something like that, yeah. yeah. All right, then. Well, SP, thank you for our space update this week. You are the master I go to for when it comes to space news because you're far more attuned to what is going on and you're able to explain it in a way in which I can always understand it. That is good to know, Mr. Hairless Chris. I've been called worse. I've been called worse. But hey, guys, we're going to wrap. We're going to move on into another segment. If you thought all of our toilet talk was crazy, let's talk <laughs> about some more of the crazy things to have come out of CES. Let's move into our big segment for this week. John had mentioned it. CES 2019 is going on. 
when CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, starts up, there's always a whole bunch of wacky, crazy stuff that comes out. Some of it's just weird devices, some of it's just weird software. Some of it's cool, some of it's nuts, and some of you shake your head and go, why the hell would they make this? And some of these things are like that toilet that fit in all three of those categories I just mentioned. <laughs> I kind of want one now, too, after we talked about it. But I wanted to go through... Well, you got $4,000 saved up for one. Yeah, I can see how well that would go over. Hey, honey, I bought us this awesome toilet. <laughs> I don't see the wrong thing here. I mean, that's something that could last you for the next three to five years of your now, marriage. Now, wait, wait. You'd have to get a his and hers. Oh, gee, thanks, John. <laughs> So you can face each other? <laughs> no, nobody wants to do that when they're doing that. That's nasty. Let's go back to CES 2019. It, it's very hard to take like five days of crazy coverage and break it down and talk about everything. But I did try and go through and pull some of the most interesting things, some of the worst things, and then some of the things that are just the coolest or the weirdest that were there. And we're just going to work our way through best, worst, and then weirdest slash coolest at the end. So we've talked about some of this. Last week we talked about it and it was shocking news, but Apple throwing open the gates of its walled garden, opening up AirPlay and HomeKit to partners, putting out an iTunes app on Samsung TVs and things like that. It's big news. It's a move that no one saw coming. And while we might have talked about it last week, it's important to bring back up again and say, hey, no one expected this. This changes the dynamic completely if you can start getting iTunes and other Apple apps on non-Apple devices. So it's something to keep an eye on, and we'll see what happens. More interesting Well, I think to me, they kind of had to. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think they kind of had so to. So the Apple TV is definitely third in a three-horse race right now. The, the Roku and the Fire TV are just leaps and bounds ahead of the Apple TV right now in terms of uh, not only hype, but usability and compatibility yeah i think you're right and i think you also have to consider not android tv as a whole but the shield tv that nvidia puts out there because there is a small but very dedicated fan base behind that because it's an incredibly powerful streaming box that's easy to sideload things on i think there's flaws with android tv as a whole especially when it comes to what apps you can get because certain cable companies will pay for a roku app and an amazon app but not necessarily for an android tv app so there is a problem there with some of that. But more interesting out of this news to me, I like playing and dabbling in home automation, is more HomeKit partners for Apple. Because how often do we really talk about Apple's home automation toolkit being HomeKit? We haven't talked about it a ton lately. We've talked about Wink Cubs. We've talked about Samsung Smart Things, Amazon Voice Services, routines, and things like that. But you don't talk a ton about HomeKit, which is Apple's tools and libraries for doing home automation that was reliant on either an Apple TV in your house to act as a hub or a more modern iPad. You, yes, you could use an iPad as a smart home hub. It'll be interesting to see what they do with that. I honestly don't know a ton about HomeKit, but I'm curious to see what other doors it opens up for home automation geeks like myself and Steven. We're a little over the top, although I guess we could use that to auto flush a toilet. Hmm. 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 So maybe. Another thing that was interesting to note is Samsung was, of course, at CES, but the interesting thing is that they announced at the end of the show is the Galaxy S10 they're going to unveil in San Francisco on February 20th, as well as a Samsung foldable OLED phone. So yes, it looks like they are actually going to put that OLED phone on sale this year. We'd heard rumors to that effect that they're planning on doing it, but it sounds like it's going to happen. And if you believe the rumors we're hearing about the Samsung phone, no notch. It's like a dot cutout, supposedly, for them to put a camera on oh, the front of God. it. Oh, thank God. 
They, they I. So glad that they just got rid of the notch. You guys know I hate the notch. <laughs> I hate the notch hate too. The notch. That is why I have not upgraded. But that is presumably coming. We'll find out more in February. I thought it was worth mentioning because we weren't sure whether Samsung would talk anything about their phone lineup, but they did a little bit. Uh, one of the things I was most interested in. We're going to talk PCs here. You guys do know Dellbot Alien Alienware years ago. Well, they were showcasing a whole bunch of new hardware, Dell laptops, Dell desktops, Alienware desktops and laptops. The most interesting laptop they announced was the Alienware Area 51M. Why is this interesting? It is a laptop with near desktop quality parts that is designed for you to be able to easily take apart and swap out pieces and parts on. You want to swap out your graphics card a couple years from now when things upgrade? They've easily designed it so you can pop open the bottom, unscrew a few things, pop out your graphics card, buy a new one that meets their standard, plug it in and upgrade that way. That is not something you've seen a ton of stuff with on laptops because they're always packing things in there super tight for space and battery, and it's incredibly hard to upgrade. This is a laptop yeah. that is designed for you to upgrade and use for many years. And one thing to bear in mind, because of this, your battery life is probably atrocious. You probably get like 40 minutes on battery, but I don't think that's the intent of this laptop. It's more of a desktop quality gaming experience that you can easily take with you from place to place. But I think I, they said that almost all but one of the parts you can buy third party. Yes, they also said that too. So this is a really interesting move, and I think it's a way to try and talk more to gamers who want to easily be able to take their rig places with them because... It's a lot easier to pick up a laptop, albeit a heavy laptop, than it is to pack up my tower, mm -hmm. pack up my monitors, pack up my keyboard and mouse, realize, oh, crap, I forgot my power cable. I can't do everything. It's an interesting move. I like it. Do I think a ton of people are going to buy it? No, but I think it's an interesting project, and I think a few people will pick it up, and it might drive more of the mobile laptop gaming market to kind of make it easier to upgrade because that's always been the problem with laptops in general, let alone gaming ones, is that upgrading is a beast because really you upgrade by buying a brand new one. I'm not the biggest into the scene of laptop gaming machines. So I'll caveat what I'm about to say with that, but Alienware and Dell have been really slipping for the last few years. It's not one of the big names that comes out when you're wanting to buy a new system, really expensive and they don't carry the uh, respectability with the name brand. Not that they don't have it, but they don't carry it like they used to. So if I'm going to go buy a gaming laptop, I'm going to actually buy something else instead. And I have. I used to buy exclusively Dells, and now I buy HPs or something else. This was something that they had to do to reinvigorate their name and their brand. Will I buy one? No, it's going to be atrociously expensive. I have no idea how expensive it's going to be, but I can just tell it's going to be atrociously expensive. And if I really was a gamer that wanted a high performance system, I don't know if a reconfigurable laptop would be the way to go. I'd probably save my pennies, get a really good laptop for two to three years, and then just buy another one in a refresh rate. That's what I would do. Is it the right answer? I don't know, but it's what I would do instead of getting something like this. That's fair. I was trying to find some of the prices here. So there was an article on The Verge. The biggest number attached to it is its price. 2549 is the starting price to pay for the first available yeah. configuration that'll be out on January 29th. That gets you an Intel Core i7-8700 processor, RTX 2070 GPU, terabyte hard drive, 
eight gigs of DDR4 memory and a 1080p 60 hertz screen. And I'm sure there will be other much more expensive uh, configurations coming after that. But it sounds like the cheapest configuration is still $2,500. So that's too, too expensive for what I would pay. It does have a lot of uh, hardware enthusiasts excited, though. That's fair. I mean, if you're really a gearhead when it comes to the laptops and you want to plug and play and you want to upgrade, yeah, okay, I could see that. I don't and, know how much money they're actually making on this when you start breaking out the cost of some of the parts in here. Because when you start getting into some of those fancier, like 144 hertz ref display, refresh displays and stuff like that in the other versions, those aren't cheap. No, but it's like any prepackaged PC, just like the one that you bought, Chris, that you're actually podcasting on right now. It was cheaper because it was combined into one unit. Yeah, that's fair. I think it's an interesting concept. Again, I don't think anyone on this show or probably most in our audience are the targets of this. But it's cool to see this happen because as someone who used a laptop for many, many years throughout college and afterwards because it was convenient to take when I was traveling, the biggest problem was two years down the line and three years down the line, about all I could do was swap out a new hard drive and try and put in more RAM if there was a problem. This is interesting. There's a lot more I can do. I had one other item that I had pulled aside my best of CES stuff. And then if you guys have any thoughts, feel free to chime in. This was just cool. It was kind of teased last year, but LG had their signature OLED TV R. This R stands for rollable. It was a 65 inch TV that curls up into an aluminum base when it's not in use. And then when you want to watch it, it uncurls. So space saving feature. I would never actually use it. The display is three millimeters thick. I'd be afraid that if you just touched it, it would tear or shatter. <laughs> but it is a cool technical demo of some of the capabilities of OLED screens. And it'll probably be god awful expensive. Yeah, we were talking about the expensive TVs last week and yeah, this would be on the other realm of it where you get 60 hertz refresh rate 65 inch TVs for that five, depending on what country you're in, 500 to $800. This is going to be more like 5,000 to $8,000, maybe a little bit more, which is still cheaper than TVs 10, 15 years ago, where you were getting a 40 inch big screen cabinet TV for $20,000. That's fair. So I just thought it was cool tech to see it in action. I don't think it's something that I would want personally. I think it's just cool. Did, did you guys notice anything in passing? Any CES stuff that stood out for you aside from the Kohler Super Toilet? Well, I, I, I saw a couple other weird, interesting things. Um, you were talking yesterday on ATGN about uh, lawnmowers and just robotic lawnmowers in general. And Bosch actually has a robotic lawnmower that they're coming out with that has... You guessed it, Amazon Alexa integration <laughs> built into it. Yes, so you can so say, can Alexa, mow my lawn, and it'll actually mow your lawn. So let me read the specs on this thing. Um, it says, when it launches in Europe for roughly $1,260, the Indigo S Plus will be capable of mowing lawns as large as 4,300 square feet, recognizing obstacles in its path and adjusting its speed and course accordingly. So would you get one of these? If I had a lawn big enough to require it, and depending on the price, I would sure consider it because the one of the chores I hated most was mowing the lawn. It's not mowing the lawn that's a big issue for me. It's the trimming. It's the prep work and, and everything like that. So to use a robotic mower, 
you're going to have to have definitively defined edges. You're going to have to have it sloped to the way that the mower can follow it. So you don't have to trim it, or maybe you're going to have to go trim it later on the edges or edging. It depends on what area of the country you're from, what you call it. But would I want one of these? Sure. But that's actually one of the good things about mowing the grass. It gets you out. It, you guys are still young. You don't understand this, but it gets you out and gets you active for an hour or two every week. And it's, I like it. I enjoy it. And would I prefer it to be automated? Yeah, but it's gives me something to do. You're one of those guys that just likes working on their lawn. <laughs> no, not necessarily. I, I like working on myself by going out and getting the exercise to go do it and listening to podcasts at the same time. Okay. So one of the other products I saw that was just absolutely weird and I don't understand why they would ever do anything like this. So Face ID is all the rage these days too as well, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a new product called the Mookie Cat Bowl and it has face scanning technology, which is its key feature that a team of engineers from New York-based firm Volta are using to bring high-tech products into the world of pets. The company's latest product, the Mookie, is a cutting-edge feeding bowl that ensures stray animals don't steal your steal food you put down for your cat. The bowl automatically locks the food behind a plastic door, <laughs> which only opens when the owner's cat walks up to it. And Bowl also connects to a smartphone app, allowing pet owners to monitor how often their cat is eating. Of course so th it these, does. These bowls don't sell for, for cheap. Mookie says their price tag is around $189. That's cheaper than I thought it would be. Yeah, that's about what I would think a uh, something like that would cost. And if you're a pet owner, John, are you a pet owner? Yes, exactly. Okay. Do you have a furry pet, or are you like the reptile sort? I have a, I have a couple furry ones. Okay. One I like, one I don't really like. <laughs> okay, so the one that you like, if you were concerned about them getting the appropriate nutrients, you might even consider, I can see, especially if you have multiple pets in the house, I could see something like this. That's fair. So those are interesting devices. Face rec for cats, That that's intriguing. Yeah, that's really weird. I don't understand why, though. Like, I, sometimes it's just because it's CES, we have to figure out if we, if we can and then just debut it. What I mean, what happens if you're the cat lady? I, I, see, I want to know how many cats you can actually program to this thing. What if you're the cat lady and you have 20 cats? Yeah, that'd be a problem. Well, I think it's more designed towards the animals that are self-feeding, you know, that don't just go for their food when you put it down, that let it sit for a while, whereas other pets will go up to it and eat it. So you'd want to protect the pets that were more of a grazing feeding. I wish I had a self-feeding cat. Wakes me up every morning at 7 a.m. Hey, you going to feed me? <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have your alarm. Yeah, you've got a cat alarm. So continuing on the CES trend, we talked about some of the things I thought were most interesting. Let's talk about some of the things that were rather underwhelming. And we're going to power through a couple of these. Uh, my personal thing for me. VR, it's still a thing. They're still pushing all sorts of weird different VR things, and I still don't get the appeal, but I'm glad some people are interested in it. Uh, another thing, 8K TVs were all around, even though there's nothing that can really play 4K stuff over the air or on cable. You have to buy movies specifically for 4K. 
8K doesn't matter, guys. Who cares? 4K really doesn't matter. It's HDR that's the differentiator. I think it is going to make a difference long term, and I think you're right. It doesn't make any difference right now. But them moving off into that direction now is going to mean the TVs five years from now are going to be 8K and they're going to be affordable. So I'm fine with this right now. I'm just not going to buy. I actually don't own a 4K TV right now. I think we're still at least five years away from viable 8K TVs where where we actually have content that can be played in 8K. Because right now, a lot of that bottom knock, even for 4K, is bandwidth and the data uses requirements for 4K. It yeah. goes faster than you think, John, though. I mean, in five years, I see it being viable, whereas right now it's just a novelty and probably not going to be able to be used anytime soon, but eventually it will be. So one of the things that would help with that bottleneck, which kind of segues into my next point, is uh, 5G. There was supposed to be all sorts of hubbub and buzz about 5G demos and APUs. For those that aren't aware of, that's the next generation of wireless internet, for lack of a better term, which is supposed to give much greater throughput than LTE that the thought is would replace landline connections for data and things like that, or could be useful for folks that they can't run fiber out to where they live. You get a 5G modem and it connects to the cell infrastructure, which is going to support much bigger connection speeds and allow you to do things that way. Yeah, 5G is still kind of underwhelming. Whenever whenever they try and demonstrate it, it just doesn't really come. What I understood is Intel did a demo that sort of showed how things worked, and then everyone else just talked about 5G but had nothing to show. So we're still a ways out from 5G no matter what AT&T no, might wait a minute. Wait a minute. AT&T rebranded all their 4G networks as 5G. Yeah, that's what I was... No, it's 5GE <laughs> is what they call it, which is oh. the shadiest shadiest BS in the industry. For those that aren't aware, <laughs> AT&T decided they wanted to take all of their 4G networks, which have been enhanced to be a 4G LTE enhanced, for lack of a better term, and they rebranded it as 5G to say that they were the first people on the market with 5G phones. It's not. It's LTE rebranded as 5GE. 5GE. They've been widely panned by consumers, tech blogs, competitors, just about everyone going, this is an absolute horse crap way to say that you're doing 5G. You've done nothing besides change the logo of LTE on those phones. It, and then they were proud about the fact that they shook up the rest of the industry so much by blatantly lying and being hostile to consumers. Shame on you, AT&T. Shame on you. And we hadn't talked about this on that show. We hadn't talked about this on this show. That's one of the reasons why I don't have AT&T. Ugh, I do right now because it's the best coverage in my area. Now I feel dirty, though. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the cool things or the weird things we saw at CES. This was something that was mentioned last year, but it wasn't working. There is a clothes folding robot by Fold I Mate that in 10 to 15 seconds can fold a piece of laundry and put it in a laundry basket for you. Now, here's the How catch. much is it? It's like five grand, I think, last I'd seen. I think my son would pay it. Here, here's the catch. You can only put like one piece of clothing in at a time. You can't like dump your laundry basket and have it sort and do it. So you're sitting like one piece on a conveyor belt at a time and it's expensive, but it actually works. They were showing it off at CES and a lot of people were like, holy crap, these guys were here last year and a competitor was something similar and they actually brought something back that worked this year and it was kind of the, the golf clap in appreciation. I don't think a ton <laughs> of people are going to spend five well, grand or whatever it is. I, I think they said it was about $980 
they're looking to target. They want to get the price point down. And it's cheaper. rather large. Yeah, but still for a grand, once they get that price point lower and having to have the space for it in your laundry room, just learn to fold your clothes. I, w- I would gladly spend a couple hundred dollars for a folding robot if it actually worked. Yes. Yeah, my son would definitely do it. Matter of fact, he he cannot fold laundry for his to save his life. He he just can't. And he actually asked for Christmas presents for those foldable uh, plastic uh, molds or whatever that help you fold your clothes. He asked for that because he wants his fo- his clothes to be neat, but he can't do it. It's like wrapping presents, right? If you're just terrible at it, you're like, God, just give me somebody that can wrap a present or I'll pay you 10 bucks a present to wrap it or something like he would be the guy that would pay five grand for something to fold his clothes even if it was one at a time he would do it it's interesting and it's one of those things if I think back to when I was a kid folding laundry this would have been a godsend for me to be like Psh, we just toss my laundry at this machine and problem solved for me but as a grown adult who goes man I could spend that grand on something far more interesting like putting it towards a super smart toilet to clean my tushy <laughs> i think there's better things to get two of them chris two of them you need no, that's to right, two of them so they, i got two more things each other <laughs> i got two more things left in the interesting and weird category let's talk the last one of them that is tech related there is a company by the name of royale flex who brought the first foldable phone that people are allowed to play with to the ces floor now this company if you're not familiar royale Evidently, is a five-year-old company that was literally founded to develop and sell flexible displays to basically beat Samsung to the punch. Well, they had their flexible phone there, and people were amused by just how dysfunctional it was, but fun. It measured 7.8 inches, diagon- inches diagonally. It was basically a tablet mode when unfolded, but when you folded it in half, then became a phone. Had two SIM trays in it, so you could do multiple SIMs in it to be able to make calls, things like that. And then, sorry, I lost my place on my notes here. It was just bad. You get a 1920 by 1440 resolution on the full display. Shrinks in half when you fold it in half. 308 pixel dent, 308 pixels per inch pixel density. But Android could not work very well with it. They'd fold things and then they'd get like two apps open over top of each other and the screen would just start flickering and going out of control. But people were having a lot of fun playing with this device on the floor. They thought it would break when they put it in the fully open position or fully folded position too, but it just snaps cleanly into shape and takes a good deal of force to be able to move it back and forth. It was an interesting device for people to see, to get an idea of where folding OLED displays are now and dream of what might be coming forward soon rather. But man, if this is what they've got, I wonder what Samsung has when they debut their folding display in February. It's ridiculously expensive. If you want it, you can buy it in China right now for what is roughly $1,300. And you could get one for yourself. But yes, folding OLED display phones are here. They just don't work so great yet. iPhone XS, XS Max that opened the door to those damn $1,500 phones. It just sucks. I think they're going to have to rewrite a lot of uh, operating software to actually get this to work properly, I think. I think you're right. Uh, very similar to what you saw with the Essential phone when they basically rewrote a bunch of things for Android to support a notch before a notch was officially supported. I think you're going to have to see something very similar for how to make Android work with this folding display. So again, another moment where I kind of scratch my head and go, I wonder how Samsung's going to pull this off with their folding phone. Probably a lot better. Well, they've got a lot more money to invest to make it happen too than a company that's pretty much 
a display company that made a phone as a proof of concept. But regardless, that was the last tech item I had. This last thing was just interesting to me. So I have to ask John Suncast, uh, John Suncast SP. I'm mixing up names there. I apologize. Have you guys heard of the Impossible Burger? This, by all accounts, from a lot of people who went to CES, was one of the most mind-boggling things that they saw. If you're not familiar with the Impossible Burger, this is a meatless burger made out of plants that, however, when you cook it, chars, gets grease, bleeds like a burger would, that supposedly tastes like hamburger meat. This is version two of it that they debuted at CES to rave reviews. The second iteration supposedly tastes so much like the real thing that it threw a few vegetarians for a loop when they tasted it, saying, I haven't eaten beef in a decade, and the new fake meat at CES comes close enough to a cow to gross me out. That's a compliment, I think. So the vegetarian all-vegetable burger tastes so much like cow that a vegetarian was grossed out. That is a compliment to how good this burger is. But, but how would a vegetarian that hasn't eaten meat in 10 years know what meat tastes like? Well, they said years, not necessarily 10, but I, I would assume you smell a burger and there's still moments where, God, I'd really like a burger. And you can taste the burger on the tip of your tongue or something like that. One of the big reasons why a lot of people don't do veggie burgers or turkey burgers is because it doesn't have the same texture or taste or smell or whatever i guess bleeding here and and if this solves that then i think a lot of people would be get, matter of fact i bet you a lot of moms will buy this in the grocery store a lot of moms and dads they'll feed it to their kids the kids won't know the difference however with all that said i wonder what's in this thing to make it look and act and taste and smell like a real burger it doesn't seem like it's a hundred percent all natural and that might throw some people because a lot of people are vegans for a reason. They they like to eat pure. Some just don't like to eat animals, but some like to eat pure, too. So I don't know who's going to like this and who's not going to like this. As far as me, yeah, I'll try it. But if it's a bunch of tofu that's just coated with stuff, it's not going to sit not, well in a lot of people's stomachs. Yeah, I don't believe it was tofu. I remember reading some stuff on the Impossible Burger last year, and I was just curious about it. And I've actually seen it on the shelves at Kroger occasionally, and there is a restaurant in town called Black Bear Burritos that does regular hamburger specials, and this place caters to vegetarians and vegans with certain meals and makes a point of calling it out. They do a burger special with the regular meat patty, or you can get it with the Impossible patty. So I wonder if it's Impossible 1.0 or 2.0. If I find out it's 2.0, I will I will make the sacrifice for you listeners of the GunnaGeek.com show I will buy the Impossible Burger and I will eat it and I will take footage of it for Steven to display on there as we see how much I actually like it or not. If you do that, you, you, you got to do it like a YouTuber. You got to buy it and then sit in your car and do a review of it from your phone. Man, I could do that, but this is their burgers are pretty messy and the upholstery in my car is pretty nice. So I don't really want to just wear one of those clear ponchos. Oh, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) So the impossible burger, according to our website, is made from simple ingredients found in nature, including wheat protein, coconut oil, uh, potato protein and heme or hem. 
I don't know if that's supposed to be a version of hemp or not. It's H-E-M-E. I've never seen it before. But that is part of what's in it. And unfortunately, the picture that I'm looking at, it's god-awful green. No, I got to Google this. Well, yeah. so there's an article on CNET, which is where I found this stuff originally. And it looks mostly like a burger. God. I don't know. You guys will have to mm. check it out for yourselves. If if you are someone who's gone vegetarian or vegan, having eaten meat before, and you struggle with really wanting a burger from time to time, try the Impossible Burger. Tell us what you think about it. We'd like to know. I'm We're, looking at this. It does not quite look the same. 1,810% of your daily dosage of thiamine. One thousand eight hundred and ten. I wonder if there is any human penalty to too much thiamine. I have no idea. I have no clue. I know nothing about this, but I did make a promise that if it is Impossible Burger 2.0, I will try it. Oh, at some look point at this. It says it grows hair. Yeah. Oh, well, I better hope it does. <laughs> Knowing my luck, it'll just grow more facial hair for me. Nothing on the top of my head. Uh. Wow. Well, I'll keep my eyes on this because it. it I don't know. It could be, you know, for every vegan on the planet, it saves like 200 animals a year. So if you're into saving animals, might be your thing. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting and I got a kick out of how many people who were covering CES were talking about the impossible burger as being something that was really interesting. Maybe that's also an indictment on just how boring CES was this year, that the impossible burger was like on a yeah. bunch of best in show lists. Everybody does their own actual um product release nowadays keynote whatever you want to call it at least the major companies doing the smaller ones just try to get as much of a, a, a actual press following as they can but yeah i can see cs is not out that said drones came out in cs in 2012 that's seven years ago it's not too far ago so I don't know. It could be good for some things that come out of it, but it's like a needle in a haystack anymore. Yeah. See, and that's that's kind of what I've been taking away from the last two or three years of CES is that it's largely become a novelty marketing show. It's not necessarily, okay, here's some of the cool stuff that is actually coming out. A lot of it is just marketing stuff, throwing that's at the wall, novelty items that, hey, let's see if we can make this stick and make it work and see if anybody's interested in. Maybe it'll come out in a year or two. Maybe. A good example of this is the Numi toilet. That thing has been around since at least 2011. I love how everything is coming back to this toilet today. I love it. It's, it's never been for sale. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. We've been talking a lot about CES and toilets and hamburgers and stuff like that. We, we've gone way over. We got distracted. The, the super magic toilet distracted me. I apologize. I, I know <laughs> the we're running magic late. The super magic toilet. That's what I'm talking about. So, so before we start shutting this thing down, though, we've talked enough about CES. Now is our chance. Self shameless self promote. Share other things that people need to know about. SP, start us off. You got anything you want to plug this week? This particular week, I do. We've reached in to the bag of tricks in Starling Tribune, and we pulled out an episode that's never been released. It's way back in season two of Arrow, and we released episode number 29 of the Starling Tribune this week. So it's an oldie, but it's a goodie. It's Wing, Jay, and myself talking about 
Arrow uh, second season episode. Uh, so if you want a flash from the past, go ahead and watch that or listen to it. It's not watchable. Yeah. Listen to it. Uh, I'll just toss in real quick for my shameless plug. Uh, don't forget, we got tons of live content over on Geeks.Live. Scroll down to the bottom of the page. You can see all of the live shows. Please, please come back and check out some other shows and tell them the GunnaGeek.com show sent you. So last but not least, our special guest, GFQ Network's very own Suncast. What do you want to plug this week? What do you want to promote? I'm going to actually uh, promote the Matt Men podcast on GFQ Network. Um, I know a lot of people have been excited about this uh, new wrestling adventure called All Elite Wrestling that was just announced. Uh, it was formed by a very bunch of cool wrestlers out there. Uh, they got some big backers, and uh, Andrew and Rich Stambolian have done quite a few episodes now about all the breaking news for All Elite Wrestling. So if you want to check that out, go look at Matt Men on GFQ Network. Well, thank you for mentioning that, John, and thank you for coming to join us this week for our extended look mm-hmm. at CES and crazy, wacky products that come out. Gotta get me one of those toilets. That's, that's what I'm saying. All that being said, though, it is time for us to start shutting this beast down. So, on behalf of all of us from the GunnaGeek.com show, thank you so much for everyone who did join us this week. We really do appreciate it, and we're looking forward to seeing you all next week. I'm Chris Farrell. And I'm SP, saying we'll see you next week. Looking forward to having Steven back. I'm Suncast. I think I'm doing this this bird box challenge thing right. Yeah? Hello? Bye! checking out another episode of the official gunnageek.com show if you like the show please give us a five-star review in apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on youtube you can always join us for our live recording sessions which stream mondays at 8 45 p.m eastern at www.geeks.live and remember you can find our full back catalog at gunnageek.com forward slash show If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.